We're about to get deep into the Word. We're really excited to welcome a dear friend to New Day. Um, she is, has been around from day dot. She's never graced the stage. So this is a very exciting moment. I can already see like her congregation and her church getting ready. Yes. She leads a church alongside her husband uh, in North London near... (laughs) You didn't let me finish. I was going to say near the greatest team in North London. Come on, you Spurs. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I'm joking. (laughs) I didn't know I'd get you going. But New Day, I would really, really love to... She's a woman of faith. She's a woman who loves the word and she's going to deliver it to you today. So I'd love for you to give a really big New Day welcome to Kemi Colioso. Oh my goodness. Yes, my name is Kemi Colioso. I am from Jubilee Church, London. And a big shout out to Jubilee Youth. You guys are amazing. We are a lively bunch, we are a loud bunch, but we are a blessed bunch, amen? Well, you know what, it's such a privilege to be here, honestly, I am a huge, huge fan of New Day. And like was said, I, my claim to fame was that I don't think I've missed a single New Day. I was here from day one. I was here when we got flooded out and evacuated. I am hardcore. I am an African auntie, but I know how to camp. And so I want to say it's a privilege, an absolute privilege and an honor to be here tonight. And I'm trusting God that he is going to speak mightily this evening. But we're going to jump straight into the word of God. So come with me to John chapter 20. And we're going to be reading from verse 28 and 29. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. Amen. Let's just close our eyes as I pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word tonight. Just thank you for your presence here amongst us already. Thank you, Lord, that you are already speaking. You are already speaking to our hearts. You are already working miracles, Lord. And so we come before you obediently tonight. We come to the preaching of your word. And I pray, Father, that you will prepare every heart. Take away distractions. I pray, Father, that every heart will be open, every ear attentive to hear your word. I pray every single person here will go away with something for them that will set them on a journey that will be amazing in your presence. And I pray, Father God, that in all that I say and do, that you will be glorified. And all God's children said, amen, amen and amen. Well, I, I am African. I am a proud African. <laughs> Not just that, I am a very proud Nigerian. And I'm going to divide the tent now and tell you I'm also an Arsenal fan. But here's the thing. As an African and as a Nigerian, one thing about being African is that 
you appreciate the importance of stories. You know, I come from a culture where stories get told and handed down. It's an oral culture, it's an oral tradition where your grandmother will tell you stories about your forefathers and things like that. So I kind of grew up loving a good story. And so for me, the Bible is not boring. I love the Bible because you see, the Bible is full of stories. It's full of funny stories. It's full of strange stories. It's full of amazing stories. It's full of stories that kind of make you scratch your head sometimes. Like, I don't get it. But it's also got sad stories in there. And I want to share with you one of the stories in the Bible that often will make me just, whenever I read it, I cannot but just stop and think, gosh, that was hard. It's the story of a woman called Tamar. It's from the book of 2 Samuel and chapter 13. And I'm going to tell you the story. Because you see, everything in the Bible is profitable for teaching. And so tonight we're going to delve into the story of a girl called Tamar. Tamar was a sister of Absalom. Absalom and Tamar were the children of King David. But you see, King David had many wives and concubines. So he had quite a few children. And so not only did he have Absalom and Tamar, but he also had a son called Amnon. Now Amnon was Tamar's half-brother. Okay, Amnon was Tamar's half-brother. And the Bible tells us that Amnon loved Tamar. You hear that and you think nothing of it. Amnon loved Tamar. I mean, brother and sister, that's fine. But the more you read the story, the more you realize that the love that Amnon had for his sister Tamar wasn't right. There was something not right about it. Because really, when you read the story, what the way that we would describe it would probably be more like he was infatuated, he was lustful after his very own sister. The Bible tells us that he knew that he could do nothing about these feelings that he had. But day after day, he thought about it and he allowed it to consume him so much that on the outside, he began to look a little bit haggard and worn out and distressed. Amnon had a friend called Jonadab. The Bible describes Jonadab as a crafty man. He was a little bit shady, but he was Amnon's friend. And I just want to say here that, you know, we need to be very careful the people that we bring close. You need to be careful the people you decide to make friends with. Because if they are people who you know their character is shady and you know that they don't follow the things that God has told you to do and they have a way of luring you into something. You might want to walk away from such friends. Well, Jonadab was that kind of friend. He said to Amnon one day, he said, why do you look so haggard? Why do you look so distressed? And Amnon confided in him. Amnon said, look, It's just that I have these feelings for my sister Tamar, but I know there's nothing I can do about it. Jonadab said, are you not the king's son? I'll tell you what you should do. 
Why don't you go home and pretend that you're sick? Pretend you're ill. When David, your father, hears that you are ill, he will come and visit you. When he comes to visit you, tell him to send Tamar, your sister, to come and visit. Tell him that you need Tamar to come and look after you. And so Amnon took the advice of his shady, crafty friend, Jonadab. He went home, he pretended he was sick, his father heard about it, his father then went to see him. When his father David went to see him, Amnon said, please can you send my sister Tamar to me to come and look after me and prepare a meal for me. David thought nothing of it because they were brother and sister, it did not seem like a ridiculous request. And so David sends Tamar to her brother Amnon's house. Tamar gets to his house and she's preparing the meal. Amnon then sends everyone out and he says to Tamar, he says to her, I'm so, you know, why don't you come into my bedroom and serve me the food? Tamar takes the food to her brother, prepares it and goes to serve him the food. And as she goes to serve him the food, he grabs hold of her hand. He grabs hold of her hand and he says, come to bed with me. Tamar said, whoa, 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 whoa. What on earth is this? Have you lost your mind? This kind of thing is not done in our country. We are not, this is an outrageous thing to do. What do you mean? And she tried to plead with him. She tried to get away from him, but he was stronger than her. He was able to overpower her. And Amnon abused his sister Tamar. Bible tells us that after the deed was done, he looked at his sister and it says that the hatred that he had for her was greater than the love that he professed to have for her in the first place. That's when you know it wasn't love. Because now he had satisfied his desire. He hated her. He told her to get up and to get out. She begged him. She said, don't do this thing. Because you see, in those days, it would have been such a shameful thing to chuck her out of his house. She begged him, my brother, don't do this thing because the evil of sending me out is greater than the evil of what you've already done. Don't do this. But he would not listen. He got his servant to chuck her out and lock the door behind her. And so Tamar was distressed and grief-stricken. She walked all the way back to her house. Her brother Absalom saw her. He guessed what had happened. And he told her, hold your peace. He almost said to her, you know, this is, this is a family matter. Let's not talk about it outside. And one of the most distressing lines that I read whenever I read this story is this. In verse 20 it says, And Tamar lived a desolate woman in Absalom's house. She lived a desolate woman in Absalom's house for the rest of her life. Through no fault of her own. When you hear the word desolate, you hear the word devastated. Her life was ruined. Life as she knew it was no longer the same anymore. It speaks of somebody whose life is completely wrecked. In fact, in this day and age, we will say that Tamar was scarred for life. Tamar was scarred for life. I want to speak to us this evening about scars. 
Because like Tamar, the truth is we all, we all have scars. Maybe not as devastating as what has happened to Tamar. Maybe your scars are that devastating. Our scars differ in course, they differ in effect, they differ in severity, but we all carry scars because we live in a fallen world. And even if you haven't got one yet, it's only a matter of time before something happens that's going to wound you. And so it's important for us to know these things. And I want to speak about this now so that you can grow up into your adult years having known how to deal with the things that the life was going to throw at you. This is reality, that we all have scars. Most of you will know of visible scars that, you know, you have an injury, you end up with a cut. And um, a lot of the time when you're growing up and you have a scar, you can boast about it. You know, your physical scars on your body. Do you know how I got that? I got that playing rugby. I got that when my brother pushed me off the wall. I got that when I tripped up. You know, it, it, it's, in fact, I have two boys. And um, one of my sons, when he was about two years old, um, I had been ironing. And I had finished ironing, had unplugged the iron. But I had left the iron unattended and the toddler around the iron. And so he crawls up to this ironing table and he pulls the cord of the iron. The heavy hot iron now falls. How it missed his head, I do not know. I thank God. But it landed, hot plates side down on his foot and he went, burnt him. Mum guilt straight away. And I know that till today he has the scars. Oh, not just my, that son. I have another son. I have two sons. And my other son, I remember once we went on holiday and um, he took his scooter with him. And we had this cobbled, there. We, we came out, there was this cobbled, slopey street thing. And my son decided that it would be a good idea to ride his scooter down this cobbled slope at full speed. And so he's coming down on his scooter, full speed, swishes past me. And as he gets to the bottom of the slope, I think his scooter must have hit something. And this guy goes flying, face first on the floor. <laughs> Everyone wants to know which child it is. I'm not going to tell you. You can bribe me later. But then I looked at his face, the closer I got, and he was just completely covered in blood. Needless to say, that holiday ended with us going to A&E. But those are visible scars. The kind of scar that Tamer would have walked around with, this kind of scar that I want to talk about today are invisible scars. There are those things that leave a mark on our emotions. There are those things that affect our mind. There are those things that really wound us at a psychological level. It's those things like, it's, it's to do with rejection that makes you feel unloved. It's things like the bullying that you have been exposed to time and time again, where you feel as if you're being left out, never included, talked about, laughed. Sometimes some of you have been physically beaten as a result of bullying. 
It's those scars that that kind of incident will leave on a person. It's the abuse, be it domestic or or neglect or to do with sexual abuse or physical abuse, whatever it is that leaves you traumatized. It's this kind of scars to do with words that have been spoken over you. Words that tell you you're not good enough. Words that tell you that you won't amount to anything. Words that are designed by the enemy to wound you at a very early age. Words that make you feel unloved. It's those habits that leave you feeling ashamed. When I talk about scars, I'm talking about situations that you might have found yourself in, maybe due to no fault of your own, but something has happened and you've carried that, you've carried that shame forever. When I talk about scars, I'm talking about sometimes even physical illnesses and disabilities that make you feel less than, that make you feel as if you're not desirable. Oh, we are exposed to so much. We are exposed to so much that attempts to wound us. But you see, the thing is that we call them scars. But if we were to be honest, what we are carrying around is not so much a scar, it's a wound. Many of us are walking around with wounds. Because for as long as anything that has happened to you, to injure you, to traumatize you, for as long as it still has a hold on you, for as long as you still feel the effects of it, it is not a scar, it's a wound that needs healing. Because a scar really is a healed wound. So I want to talk to us really about the wounds that we carry. You know, a wound will always start with an injury. If it's deep enough, it will cause a, 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 it will cause a, a cut in the flesh. Bit by bit, if you are in a situation where you are being cared for, where you're being poured into, where you're able to read the Bible, pray. These are situations that enable our wounds to heal, where you're being able to receive godly counsel. Oh, wounds do heal. Just like they heal in the physical. If you have a physical wound, you want to treat it. You want to make sure that it heals from the bottom up. And so it's no different with the invisible wounds, with the wounds on our emotions, with the wounds on our psyche, that we too need to be in a place where we heal. But what tends to happen is we don't heal properly. What tends to happen is that we allow a scab to form. The wound underneath is still raw, but what you do is you allow a scab to form so that you then present as if, okay, everything's fine. But it's not. When there is no real healing, we put on a brave face. When there is no real healing, we pretend to everyone outside, but on the inside, we are dying. When there's no real healing, we end up covering and protecting and keeping people at arm's length and saying, don't come any closer because you're scared. You see, when you have a wound that isn't healed, even though there's a scab on top of it and everything looks okay, but the closer you get to it, if you touch it, you know that it's going to hurt you. See, I worked as a nurse for many years and wound care was my thing. And often I would see a wound that looks like it's scabbed over, but the more closer I get, as I touch it, the person just moves back because that thing hasn't healed. It's just pretending. Not only do unhealed wounds, do they hurt, but they also, they breed things. 
If you do not allow your wounds to heal, they will breed things. They will breed anger. They will breed resentment. They will breed unforgiveness. They will breed bitterness. And you carry these things on the inside. And if you're not careful, you don't realize why. But could it be that there's something on the inside that needs the touch of Jesus Christ? When wounds don't heal, they end up defining you. They end up defining you. That is the anxieties that you walk around that paralyze you. The fears that control and overwhelm you. It's the depression that you cannot shake. That if we don't learn how to heal from our wounds, it will define us. Not only will it define us, it will distort the way you see yourself. Is that person who no longer sees themselves the way God sees you. You forever think that you are less than. You think you're rubbish. You think you're not good enough. Whereas God is constantly telling you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But because you have this wound on the inside, you cannot see yourself the way that God sees you. And no matter how many times we speak over you, who you are in Christ, you just can't see it. And the enemy begins to toy with your identity, not only with your wounds define you and distort you, but they will aim to destroy you. Unhealed wounds will destroy your relationships. Because you end up keeping people at arm's length and saying, don't come any closer to me. Don't come any closer to me. People try to get to know you, but they can't get to know you because there's, there's this facade that you've, you present on the outside. Oh, it will try to destroy your relationships. It will stop you from sustaining and making new relationships. It will eat into every area of your life. Unhealed wounds lead to bondage. But I've come here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. Amen? It doesn't have to be that way for a child of God. Because I believe that by the grace of God, for as many of you who are walking around, who are sitting here tonight, who have wounds on the inside, who are things that have traumatized them, whether it happened yesterday or many, many years ago, my belief tonight is that God is going to set you free in the name of Jesus. I said, God is going to set you free in the name of Jesus. Can you shout amen? And so I'm going to, with the time I've got left, tell you how do we heal from wounds. But before I tell you how we heal from wounds, let me tell you very quickly about my story. You know, when I was born, I was born with a congenital heart defect. My mother was told that I wasn't going to live. They performed surgery on me when I was very young and I was given a 50% chance of survival, but I made it. I made it. Not only did I make it, I mean, I spent a whole year of my life in hospital. I finally get discharged home and my mother was told that this girl's heart is not strong, so she must not be exposed to any kind of stress. So as a young child, I really wasn't allowed to do a lot of stuff that my peers or my, my, my age mates would do. I was just very, just very sheltered. Fast forward a few years, I'm getting stronger. I'm now in primary school, I'm about the age of nine. And in my primary school, there was this massive accident. And, you know, a lorry backed into a wall, knocked the wall. Lots of children got injured. As these children got injured, they carted them off to hospital. They now got 16 men to just move the rubble out of the way. As they were moving the rubble out of the way, they saw a hand. They saw the hand and they thought maybe one of the children had lost a hand. They radioed ahead. They said, has any child lost a hand? They said, no, all their limbs are intact. They furiously began to move the rubble when they found another child underneath the rubble. 
They pulled that child out of the rubble. That child was me. For the second time. For the second time in my life, my mother was told, this child's not going to live. But I beat the odds again. (laughs) Whilst in hospital, whilst in hospital, I had fractured almost every single bone in my body. I had a fractured pelvis, fractured my skull. I was a mess. And at some point, there was conversation about amputation. And I heard that conversation. And from that moment onward, I had nightmares. So in addition to being this child who was lacked confidence, a child who had very low self-esteem because she wasn't allowed to do a lot of stuff that her peers were doing. Now add on to that a fear, a fear, a deep-seated fear that took hold on the inside of me. I had night terrors. I, had, I was fearful of everything. By the grace of God, they did not amputate my legs. These are mine. But my mother was told she will never walk properly again. She will never walk properly again. And I know that is by the healing power of God that I walk here. And by the brilliance of physiotherapy that I can walk. Not only can I walk, I can walk in heels as well. I just, I just thought I'd put that one out there. I can walk in heels. But let me move on. Fast forward a few years and I'm just about regaining confidence bit by bit because it took me a long while to learn how to walk properly again. And so just my self-image, the way I saw myself was just mangled. I really saw myself as ugly. I saw myself as flawed. I saw myself as just not as good as my peers. I'm now about 12 years old. I'm coming home from school one day. My sister and I walk in. And something's different in the house. We couldn't quite put our foot, finger on it. When my dad came back from work, we went up to my dad and we said, what, what, what's going on? And my dad looked at us and he said, your mother's gone. And I thought, what do you mean she's gone? My mom had just up and left. The, she just left home. Not a word, nothing. And for three weeks, we didn't even hear from her. We didn't know where she'd gone. It turns out the marriage had broken down. She'd walked off, didn't tell us nothing. So we ended up living with my dad and my dad just, he began to change. He got married again and he really, really began to change towards us. And so my life just began to spiral. So as if things weren't difficult enough, now I've added on to all my other problems, a sense of abandonment and rejection. My dad became very neglectful. He became physically abusive to my siblings. He didn't touch me because he thought I might just die. (laughs) But he was very verbally abusive towards me. He would often say to me, you're useless. You won't amount to much. He would say to me, the best thing that can happen to you was for someone to marry you and take you off my hands. He would say to me that I've never met anyone as thick as you. Well, I was a good, I was an A student until my mom left home. And then I became, I was just failing constantly. The school wondered what was going on with me, but I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't let people come to our house because I was just too embarrassed. The neglect that was going on there. I often say that if it was this day and age in this country, we would have been taken into care. 
My dad really couldn't care. If we, we, often we would have one meal a day and that was it. And he would say, that's all I've got. And so when I talk about wounds, oh, I had many. I had many wounds that I was walking around with and carrying. And so what I want to talk to you very briefly about now is how do you heal from these wounds? Because I know that God has healed me. I know that God has turned so many things around in my life. This is a girl who could not speak to strangers. This is a girl who could not make friends. This is a girl who was scared of her own shadow. A girl who, when you spoke to her, would be, I would be so anxious on the inside. So when I say to you that I am standing here, I am a living miracle of what the Lord Jesus has done in my life. You've got to believe me. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nothing he cannot do. If I, know, if I remember and look back to where he has brought me from, I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what issues you're carrying. But I want to say to you tonight, do not believe the report of the enemy. You are more than a conqueror. Believe me, you can do exploits for God. Very quickly, the healing from wounds. To heal from wounds. Brothers and sisters, you need to define the problem. Don't hide it. Recognize what it is that has hurt you. Recognize what it is that has wounded you. The enemy loves secrecy. And that's why I'm saying you need to go back and you need to say, this is what has happened. Find somebody who you have confidence in. Find a mature Christian, a youth leader, your pastor, your parents, and speak to them. Don't be silent. Don't let this thing eat you up. Define the problem. Don't only define the problem, but you need to desire to be healed. You know, we live, in a, we live in a society now where anxiety is on the rise. Mental health issues are on the rise. And when I say you need to, be, you need to desire to be healed, it can sound like a strange thing. But the truth is sometimes we don't want to be healed. Because that thing has become your identity. That thing has become the one thing that you think people are going to draw. You're going to draw people to yourself and you hold on to it. It becomes your idol. It becomes an altar to which you bow to. But I want to say to you, that is a cheap substitute for what God has in store for you. That you need to desire 100% to get rid of that thing. To get rid of it. Don't post it on social media. Get rid of it. God wants to heal you in this place. That you desire to be healed. But thirdly, that you defy the enemy. Because what you think is a wound, what you think is trauma, what you think is a problem is a whole strategy of the enemy. Because the enemy knows that if he can give you one problem to take you out of the race, that is one more person who is not going to go out there and evangelize. Simon spoke to us about it yesterday, that we are called to be fishers of men. But the, but the enemy knows that if you have something that you need to nurse... If he gives you anxiety, if he gives you a low self-esteem, if he gives you something that you know that you're not going to open your mouth and evangelize, he knows that that's one less person. But I want to say to you that we are going to defy the enemy tonight. Amen? We are going to defy the enemy tonight. He came to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus Christ has his own strategy. Jesus Christ has come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly in Jesus' name. Can you shout amen to that? And that really is how we are to be set free. But the truth is that when we heal properly, 
when we heal from our wounds properly, then yes, we do have a scar. But the scar is not ugly. The scar is beautiful. There is beauty in our scars. Because you see, there is no shame in your scars. There is no shame in your scar. Because your scar is evidence of an healed wound. The enemy wants to shame you. He wants to name you. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has come to claim you. You belong to him. So never let the enemy tell you that your scars are shameful. Whatever those scars are, scars of abuse, scars of self-harm, the scars of the divorce, the abortion, the scars of, of the trauma that you went through. For as long as you have said, Lord, come and heal me, and he has cleaned that thing out, then you are not flawed. You are beautiful in his eyes. There is no shame in your scars. There is a message in your scars. The message of your scars tells a story. It is a testimony that the world is waiting to hear. The message in your scars stops you from repeating mistakes. It draws you nearer to Jesus Christ. It causes other people to draw nearer to Jesus Christ. Your scars are evidence of God's healing power in your life. Your scars, they, they identify you as an overcomer. Those scars tell you that you are strong, that you are courageous. Your scars tell you that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. That is what the message in your scars are. So don't let the enemy tell you anything other than that. That there is a message in your scars. And God is calling you to testify of the goodness of God in your life. Every single scar tells a story. But there is one story, one scar whose story, whose scar, one story whose scar tells a better story. And it's the story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible has many stories, but they all fit into one big story, and that is the story of redemption. The story of redemption is the gospel. And as I draw to a close, I started off by telling you, by reading to you from the book of John. And just very quickly to tell you, we often call it Doubting Thomas. Well, Jesus Christ had died and he had risen. He had ascended and he came back down. He appeared to the the disciples. They were in a room and Jesus appeared in the middle of them. And he said, peace be unto you. And he showed them his scars. Well, on the day that Jesus appeared to them, Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas comes back and they tell Thomas, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus, he's alive, he's alive. And Thomas says, I don't believe you. I won't believe you unless I see the scars in his hand and I put my hand in his side. I love Jesus. Eight days later, Jesus comes back, appears in the middle of them while Thomas is there. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, you want to see my scars? Do you want to put your hand in my side? And every time I read that, I don't know about you, but you've got to ask yourself, Jesus, who was able to heal the blind, who was able to to cause a paralyzed man to walk, Jesus, who was able to speak to the storm and the storm died down, Jesus, who was able to do all these massive miracles, he's now died, crucified, buried, rose on the third day, he went to heaven, came back, he's done all this, but he came back with the scars in his hands. Surely he could have come back with flawless skin but he didn't. And so I asked myself, why did Jesus Christ come back with the scars of his crucifixion still visible? 
Could it be that Jesus came back with the scars to remind us that our scars tell a story of victory? Could it be that he came back with the scars to tell us that there is beauty in our brokenness? Could it be that he came back with the scars to tell us that he feels our pain and he understands our anguish? Could it be that he came back with the stars to tell us that by his wounds we are healed? And could it be that he came back with the stars to tell you that if the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. That is why he came back with the scars in his hands. And we're going to pray at the end. And I'm so thankful because I know God is going to do miracles in this place. There is a redeemer of your scars and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to show you some pictures in a minute. I want to show you pictures and I want you to look at them. That whatever your scar is, I don't know if we've got them. We've got pictures on the screen. That's Thank you. Whether your scars are visible or invisible, physical or emotional, self-inflicted or the action of others. Jesus Christ died for every single one. And that final scar there, that's my scar. That's the scar of a surgeon's knife. Oh, I have many scars. It covers my body. I used to be so ashamed of that scar. In fact, my mother used to tell me time and time again, cover your scar. Cover your scar. And so I grew up hating that scar. One day, I realized I had to go swimming and I was desperate looking for a swimming costume that would cover my scar and I couldn't find one. And I felt God say to me, Kemi, why are you always trying to cover your scar? I said, Lord, I hate it. I hate it. And God said, that scar tells a story. It tells a story of the healing that I have done in your life where twice you were almost pronounced dead, but I healed you. God said to me, that scar not only tells a story of your physical healing, it tells a story of your emotional healing. That every single thing I went through as a child, every single thing I went through as a teenager, that I have healed you from, that scar tells that story. And from that moment on, when Jesus Christ spoke to me so tenderly, I decided that I would never be ashamed of my scar because my scar is evidence of his grace. My scar is evidence of his goodness and my scar is evidence of his healing power and I am scarred beautiful. I want you to just close your eyes where you're at. Just close your eyes. The presence of God is here. The presence of God is here. Someone had a word, a picture early on, that there are 400 angels of the Lord dispatched around. And they are waiting to break off chains tonight. They are waiting to loose people from their bondages tonight. And it's nothing to be scared of because 
with God, there is no chaos, there is no fear. But I believe that God is going to do something amazing here tonight. So if you are here tonight with all eyes closed and you feel that you are still walking around with a wound, that you know that something on the inside is not right, that you are still hurting, you are still breeding stuff. There are things that you need to be healed from, emotional hurts. And I want you to stand up. Just stand up where you are. That you want the healing that comes from Jesus. Well done. Just stand to your feet. With all everyone else, just eyes closed. But if you know that there's something that God needs to break off you tonight, praise the Lord. Just stand to your feet. Or maybe you're here and it's the anxiety that is crippling you. It's the depression that you cannot shake off. It's the bitterness on the inside of you. It's unforgiveness because of what somebody has done. Then I want you to stand to your feet, stand to your feet, stand to your feet. There's going to be an amazing outbreak of freedom in this place tonight. I just want you to lift your hands here. Just lift your hands with me. I believe as I was preparing this message, I had a word for someone that you were raised in a care home and God is saying to you, it's time to testify. No longer time to hide it. That he's going, to change, he's going to make your story into a testimony that will bless many people who are in, caught in the care system. I believe that God has given me a word for someone here with cystic fibrosis. That your illness has tried to define you. And Jesus Christ is saying, that is not who you are. That is not who you are. But he has an assignment for you. And so as you're standing, why don't you just raise your hands as I pray over you. Just raise your hands right now. And I just want to say, if you are here and you are a, um, a youth leader, then begin to lay hands on these boys and girls. Just begin to lay hands on them. Father God, I pray over these boys and girls as they have stood here tonight, Lord God. We pray, Father God, for your freedom in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that every single thing that the enemy has done to hold them bind, we say every single chain will be loosed in the name of Jesus. I say, Father God, that every single anxiety that is crippling, Father God, I pray that you will come and you will turn it around in Jesus' name. I pray every single wound that the enemy has used to traumatize you, I pray healing over you tonight in the name of Jesus. We pray, Father, that none will leave this place the same. I pray, Father God, that chains will be broken right now, over, right across this auditorium, no matter how old or how young they are. We come against every single thing that the enemy has done. We say, Father, release your blessings. Release your power tonight, Lord God. We pray, Father God, that you will break chains in this place in Jesus' name. I want for the rest of you to just rise to your feet. As these people continue to be prayed for, we're just going to enter into worship and give God the glory for all that he's done. Shall we applaud the Lord in this place?